Welcome back to Unseen Supreme, the non-essential movie podcast. This is episode seven, where we're talking about my movie, Shakespeare in Love. My movie, I made it. Shakespeare in Love. Let's do this. Yeah. Um, yes, last time we talked about Karate Kid. If you haven't listened, go back and listen because it's a great episode with a great special guest. Oh, you know what? Before we get started. Yeah. So remember how in our first episode way back when days ago, mm-hmm. uh, I think it was Holden who asked the question, you know, who doesn't love cheese? I think mm-hmm. it was like a, it was, you know, jokingly in passing, but I think, yeah. John, you were telling me that someone actually wrote in. Yeah, we had we had a listener write in. <gasps> what they say? Kelly Bourne wants us to know that her daughter Kennedy hates cheese. <gasps> She's sixteen. She also hates chocolate. That's really unfortunate to hate both cheese and chocolate, both milk products. Maybe she's got some sort of milk thing. What? No, no happiness. <laughs> I have a I have a question for Kelly's daughter. Um, what do you eat? Oh, so if I were to make her a cheesecake. I would have to take the cheese out and just make her a cake. Nobody wants just a cake. They always want cheesecake. Mm. And it can't problem. be chocolate cheesecake either. That's a life. Oh. That is a life-changing problem. You can't well, have cheesecake. Well, you know, we said we wanted to know, and now we know. I don't think we should disparage them for their- You're right. You're right. You're right. Thank you, Kelly and Kennedy, for writing in. Um, Thank you for uh, not calling in uh, rule fo- rule rule breakers. And I would like to point out she so. did write in. It was uh, a mailed letter. Um, <gasps> oh wow! No, in calligraphy, <laughs> used in quill and ink, written much like the uh, signature of Sir William Shakespeare, Shakespeare the third. Oh, it's topical. Also, also, um, I got I got a special phone call. A phone call. I got a phone call that I want to share with y'all. Oh, you I, recorded the phone call? Yeah. I'm a, I'm a little nervous okay. about this. Um, right. Hang on. Did you record it? Wait, you recorded it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I recorded this phone call. And I'm going to play it for you now. Okay. Here we go. Ready? I think so. Here it comes. Uh, hello? Who's this? Uh, this is John. Who is this? No. I'm Holden's Aunt Lisa. No. <gasps> oh, Aunt Lisa. I've heard a lot about you. Holden talks about you all the time. Uh, but would you like to talk to him? No. I no. can't talk to you, Jim. It's John. Doesn't matter. Look, Holden and Madison are good kids, but they'll never know what it's like to pack up and move cross country in an off green station wagon and secretly learn karate from the guy who takes care of your apartment building, uh, but also clearly owns the apartment building, even though it's not really talked about because you ran afoul of some ruffians and their evil sensei because one night on the beach, you fell in love with Elizabeth mm-hmm. Shue while listening to Bananarama. Uh, and Lisa, did you call to talk about the karate kid? I'm talking about my life, Jim. John. <laughs> Listen. Every single child who went to high school mm-hmm. in the 80s spent at least one night on the beach listening to Bananarama with Elizabeth Shue. <laughs> that, that can't be right. Did you know her brother Andrew was on Melrose Place? I did. Of course you did. Because you're a man of the world. You have to fend for yourself. Sure. 
Holden and Madison came from loving homes and they look like shampoo models, <laughs> but they never had to do battle with only their wits and their WW2 vet karate master from Okinawa to protect them. Oh. These young people are coddled. Can I tell you a story? Uh, yeah, of course. My little brother, Holden's uncle Carl, the second youngest, not the youngest. Oh, that was Benny, but we don't talk about Benny, you understand? Uh, sure, yeah. We don't talk about Benny, Jim. I, I got it, yeah. When Carl was a kid, he'd wake up on Saturday, hop on his bike, and disappear. Who knows where? Riding to the creek, the mall, maybe the video arcade. Most times he wouldn't come home until the sun was setting. Sometimes, though, he'd fly into the house in the middle of the day crying. I'd say, Carl, what happened? I fell off my bike and scraped my knee. His knee would be a bloody mess, Jim. I kid you not. You know what I would do? Uh, no. What would you do? Shake up an aerosol can of Neosporin, spray the hell out of it, slap a Band-Aid <laughs> on there, and send it back out. And he was fine. Well, of course. And these weren't those new Band-Aids that bend with your body or whatever. They were stiff, and they didn't work, <laughs> and it didn't matter. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I think so, yeah. One more thing about the Karate Kid, and then I had to go drink my rosé and watch my shows about British cakes. Country club dinners are sacred. Sacred. True. I never liked how Danny LaRusso showed up there and then made a scene. It's one thing to live a life completely secret from your mother, who's too busy trying to feed and clothe you to know what the heck is going on at any point of the day. It's another to show up underdressed to a club and then sneak into the kitchen to spy on the girl you like. It can only lead to misunderstandings and heartbreak, and those scars don't heal. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Okay. <laughs> well, um, Aunt Lisa, it was really nice talking. One more thing. You think Higgins was actually Robin Masters? Uh, I don't. I don't know what any of that means. Greatest unsolved mystery of our time, Jim. Solve it and tell Holden to call his mother. All right, I sure will. Holden, call your mother. Wow. wow. Well, I I learned one new thing about my aunt Lisa. Uh, in that whole tirade, I'm actually surprised you didn't hang up uh, earlier. No, I was. Um, I was. I was invested. I wanted you know to what? know what she had to say. I always took my Aunt Lisa for a Riesling woman, but, you know, she's a rosé. <laughs> wow. I've actually never met Aunt Lisa, and I really think I need to. I do think that she brought up a lot of good points that you youngins just don't, you haven't experienced in your life. I'm just going to. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but who do you want to align with? Aunt Lisa or us, man? We're the future. We're the future, man. Well, Sure. <laughs> Come on. I'm just saying she she brings up some good points. That's all. I'm I'm just going to leave it at that. All right. That's that's fair. All right. All right. Let's talk about Shakespeare in Love. One of my favorite movies. Winner of seven Academy Awards. I'll have poetry in my life. And adventure. And love above all. Starring Academy Award winner Gwyneth Paltrow. It is a new world. Joseph Fiennes. Team one. God, I'm good. And Academy Award winners Jeffrey Rush. Love and a bit with a dog. That's what they want. Colin Firth. Tide waits for no man, but I swear it would wait for you. Ben Affleck. What is the play and what is my part? And Judy Dench. She's been plucked since I saw her last and not by you. The show must go on. Shakespeare in Love. Romeo and Juliet. Juliet? You mean it? Just a suggestion. Where does it rank in your favorite movie? 
I yeah. don't, don't I, is it in your top five? I can't even begin to know. Um, I love it. And we'll, we'll talk about why. Let's do it. So first we like to talk about a little cultural context. So Shakespeare in Love came out in 1998. So 1998, let's talk about what else happened. Uh, fun <laughs> fact, the Google Doodle was debuted that August celebrating Wait. Burning Man. What What is that? You don't know what the Google Doodle is? Is that the so you- paperclip that's at the bottom of your documents? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> that was such a good era. I miss that. Um, no. Google Doodle is when you go to the Google homepage. You go to Google something. And now they're like animated and they're all creative. And it's like celebrating Martin Luther King Jr.'s oh. birthday. So... December 4th of 1998, the Space Shuttle Endeavour launched the first American components to the International Space Station. So who built the International Space Station? Well, it's international, so so I assume it's a little bit of everybody. (laughs) Everyone did. Also in 1998, Destiny's Child released their debut album and changed the course of history forever. 1998 was the year of the Bill Clinton-Monica Lewinsky scandal. What happened in that? Um, so, hold on. In January, Bill Clinton gave his famous speech about never having relations with that woman. Uh, and uh, um, by December, he was impeached. He was later yeah. acquitted, but that, I mean, it really spanned the whole year, this, this whole and thing. And what was all of this over? <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. Okay. <laughs> Okay, anyway, in related news, Disney's Animal Kingdom Park opened in 1998. What is that related? Is that related to Bill Clinton? It's not. That was a joke. (laughs) So let's talk about movies. Saving Private Ryan Mm -hmm. was the second highest grossing movie this year. Came out in 1998. Uh, Shakespeare in Love was the ninth highest grossing. But Shakespeare in Love beat out Saving Private Ryan for the Best Picture Oscar, yeah. which created a ton of controversy. Okay, let's let's talk about this for a second. That okay. honestly surprised me. Yes. I think they did give Steven Spielberg the Oscar for directing Save It Private Ryan, but mm-hmm. the fact that this Save movie- it, Private Ryan. Save it. <laughs> <laughs> I said saving. John, you absolutely did not say saving. You said save it. Holden was correct. I can't. I can't believe that Shakespeare in Love beat that movie. It, Listen, it captures hearts. Yeah, I think it was definitely the more attainable movie to a mass audience. I think it had audience appeal for sure. Um, but Saving Private Ryan is a masterpiece compared to this movie. So I've never seen Saving Private Ryan, but does it have a love story for the ages? It's a love story between a man and his country. Ew. <laughs> I'll pass. <laughs> you can see you can see where the paths diverge for Matt Damon and Ben Affleck. We're like maybe like a year after Goodwill Hunting, and then Matt Damon ends up in Saving Private Ryan, and Ben Affleck ends up in Shakespeare in Love. Oh, I didn't even think about that. And Saving Private Ryan to me is it was a classic as soon as it came out. I don't know if this movie had the staying power other than that. It's your favorite movie. Uh, 
Fun fact, actually, I read that Ben Affleck came on board when Gwyneth Paltrow came on board because they were dating at the time. Right. I read that, too. Gwyneth Paltrow was fresh off of her role as Brad Pitt's girlfriend, and Ben Affleck swooped in, much like he swooped in with J-Lo. Damn! He was a swooper. He swooped in. Got him. I hate Ben Affleck, and it's really tough because I love his role in this movie. Um, but also, apparently, Harvey Weinstein brought him on board. So that tells you everything you need to know. That being said, Saving Private Ryan. Ryan. Saving Ryan. Saving. Save it, Private Ryan. Save it, Private Sam Ryan. Plan should have swept the Oscars that year um, compared to what everything else that was out. There were some really good films that came out this year. This was a pretty good year. And there I, were. Some of them include The Truman Show. The Big Lebowski, Rushmore, There's hmm. Something About Mary, The eh. Wedding Singer, um, Mrs. Dalloway, which wasn't a big movie, but it's a Damn. callback to The Hours, which we talked about earlier. Everything in this podcast comes full circle. Hmm. It really does. We're like all like kismet like that. The Big Lebowski, Rushmore, huge standouts from that year for me. It was a big year for like cults following movies. You've got Mail, Practical Magic, The Parent Trap, a personal favorite of mine that needs to go on my list. I think Pi um, was ninety. Pi was ninety eight as well. Huge cult film. Oh, I didn't know what that was, so I didn't put it on the list. Oh, so you haven't seen Pi? No. P I uh, Darren Aronofsky. Yeah, Darren Aronofsky's Pi. Darren Aronofsky. <laughs> I'm sorry. Good. I have I'm a Darren so Aronofsky. Sorry, Mr. Aronofsky. I have two uh, Aronofsky films on my list. So, um, I picked this movie because I love it, and I love it because <laughs> uh, <laughs> I love it. I love it. Because it's fun. It's um, it does a great job of kind of evoking that Shakespeare feel, where it's like it's comedy and it's tragedy. It's like great romance. It's um, lots and lots of bo- lots and lots rather of like body jokes. And altogether, I would just call I would call it a theater kids movie. Yeah. Like obviously it's it's not its appeal isn't just to theater kids, but I would say that like 90% of the people who love this movie were probably involved with theater at some point. I, I can I can I think this movie does appeal to a larger audience. I think there's a lot of wink wink nudge nudge stuff that probably I, I agree. didn't get that I feel like would be there. Um I agree. But that didn't it didn't hurt the movie to me at all. Yeah, good. And I w- I want to talk more about that later too because that is something that I wondered. So, yes, let's let's I'm going to read the synopsis that I found on IMDb that I think just kind of like sums it all up pretty well. It gives the major plot points because we don't really go into those. So um, this is it. William Shakespeare is a known but struggling poet, playwright and actor who not only has sold his next play to both Philip Henslow and Richard Burbage, but now faces a far more difficult problem. He is bereft of ideas and has yet to begin writing. He is in search of his muse, the woman who will inspire him, but all attempts fail him until he meets the beautiful Viola de Lesseps. She loves the theater and would like nothing more than to take the stage, but is forbidden from doing so as only men can be actors. She is also a great admirer of Shakespeare's works. Dressing as a man and going by the name of Thomas Kent, she auditions and is ideal for a part in his next play. Shakespeare soon, Shakespeare soon sees, Shakespeare soon sees through her disguise, and they begin a love affair. One they know cannot end happily for them, as he is clearly no, as he is already married. 
that rock solid disguise she had. Mm. Uh, (laughs) Impenetrable disguise. He is already married, and she has been promised to the dower Lord Wessex. As the company rehearses his new play, William and Viola's love is transferred to the written page, leading to the masterpiece that is Romeo and Juliet. Man, that was a wordy synopsis. Yeah, I tried to move through it Who wrote that? Hopefully you followed it. Some dude on the internet. God, some dude. But we don't go into a lot of plot, and so I just thought, okay, if anyone hasn't seen it, there's basically like everything you need to know. Oh, if if you haven't seen it, hit pause, go watch it, and come back, because we're going to spoil the heck out of it. This is true. Spoiler warning from here on out. No stone unturned. Okay, a couple taglines. A comedy dot, wait, this is important. Dot, dot, dot. A comedy about the greatest love story almost never told. Dot, dot, dot. Mm. The ellipses are important. What? Um, Why are they important? It just evokes a feeling. Oh. I don't know. I didn't put them there. I can only assume they're there for a reason. That's a terrible tagline. Uh, I I don't know. Maybe it is. I, I like that one. The other one is, love is the only inspiration. Oh, that one's kind of lame. I mean, if you're William Shakespeare, then yeah, because it's he doesn't shut up about it for an hour and a half or however He's long this movie was. Dramatic. But so, then again, so are all. Most Shakespeare is very dramatic. Let's talk about it. So <laughs> first, I thought I would give you all a brief crash course on Shakespeare and theater in the in the Elizabethan times. Please, I know very little about Shakespeare. I mean, I had to read Romeo and Juliet in high school. Well, I've seen a couple movie versions of that and a couple movie versions of Hamlet. And mm-hmm. that's where it ends. Yeah, basically yeah. sitting in the dark here. Well, just I'm just counting gonna, as that. I'm just going to give you a little bit as it relates <clears throat> to the movie. And I, I did have this question, like how I was wondering how much y'all already knew. We're going to learn as much as the listeners do, probably. Great. I love it. So this film revolves around Shakespeare writing Romeo and Juliet. Uh, which is actually believed to be written around this time, and it's one of his greatest tragedies. Uh, We all are familiar with it in some way, right? Like, literally everyone is familiar with, if they haven't read the play, that they know know basically the plot, right? Because it's been redone and redone a million times. Yeah, yeah. Not a lot is known about Shakespeare, so you may have heard that there are um, theories about him not even being a real person, about Christopher Marlowe, who is also in the movie, that's um, baffling to me because of how important he is historically. Yeah. How could there be so little known about him? It's crazy. Just not a lot. I mean, there's stuff like his signature kind of changes, the way the spelling of his name kind of changes in different historical documents. So it's enough to make some people like want to make up conspiracy theories about it. Was that the point of the opening when he's writing his name on paper? He's, I mean, yeah, I thought he was like faking who he was. Is was that play, paying homage to the fact that he has so many different spellings yes. of his name? Okay, yeah, that's exactly what it is. Also, if he wasn't a real person, how did I go to his house in Stratford upon Avon in two thousand six? <laughs> how did I go to his house? Well, I would I knocked say that on the most... door and I was like, Shakespeare, you home? You he's home? Like, no, and um. I would say that most people believe that he was a real person, but, um, you know, you always have those who are like, but what if? Yeah, if he's real, how come we don't have any pictures of him? Yeah, no photographs, only Only drawings. drawings. 
Mm-hmm. What gives? Pretty suspicious. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. Nope. It's all coming together. So Will and Viola's story in this in this um this movie, Will Shakespeare and Viola's story is the inspiration for Romeo and Juliet. Um, you know, between the balcony scenes and the witty nurse that Viola has and he then write, writes into the play, you know, it kind of the movie interweaves them, um, them experiencing these things and then him writing them into the play. But yeah, I quite, in reality, I quite, I quite enjoyed that. I did too. I think it's beautiful. That was one of the strengths of the movie, I think. And I, I just like, and much like how the hours sort of did that, like by sort of reinterpreting an existing material, um, into a new story. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I love it. And I have a chart. I will, I will probably read it later, but I, I have charted out the movie of what I think are the connective threads between okay. character and, and play character. Dang. Do we have a chart? That. I suck <laughs> at this game. This, this version they're they're portraying it as Romeo and Juliet is based on Shakespeare's experiences when in reality, Romeo and Juliet was already a story. Um, so Shakespeare based it off of, you know, this already existing work and he just kind of perfected it. Okay. That's right, Freddie. So this uh, movie takes place in 1593 while Queen Elizabeth I was on the throne. So this is the Elizabethan era. Area. It said so at the beginning of the movie. It said 19, no, it said 1593. Yes. London. You caught that. It takes place in London. London. England. 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 This is another thing that the that actors do. They just break into an English accent. The <laughs> what are you talking about? I didn't do that. Queen of England. Oh, dub it out. Dub it out, Queen of England. Called out. Oh, okay. So Elizabethan. Um, so during this period... <laughs> So everyone would pack into the theaters to be entertained. And it was raucous. Um, we see at the end of the play how like just hundreds of people pack into that playhouse and they're pushed up against the stage. That's how it really was. Um, That's they were how you just, get the play. Like, all up in there. They would talk back and forth with the actors. They were drunk. Yeah. They were rowdy. It was it was great. And a lot of that is what contributed to the um, kind of body humor of Shakespeare's plays. Because that, that's what people loved. You got to play to the lowest common denominator. Right. Oh. You got to um, play to the people. You got to give the people what they want. I think but, that's a popular line theater. from the movie. But also, the queen loved theater. And um, <laughs> even though it was kind of seen in the eras, I'm so sorry, it's going to happen. In the eras before and after, it was seen as like so like sacrilegious Boring. and nasty and whatever. The queen oh, theater loved was theater. was seen that way? Yeah, so theater say was that seen again, that way. I, Say that again. I, I kind of didn't understand what you said. Um, what did I say? So, so theater was seen as like, like uh, sacrilegious, huh? And dirty and gross and bad. But the was queen that loved before it. or after? That was during the queen. Before and after. So she kind of ushered in what was referred to, what's referred to as like the golden age of English theater. Oh, okay. Because she, you know, she patronized it. She encouraged it. She, she loved it. Well, there was that religious fellow at the beginning of the movie who was like, it's an abomination. The theater should be closed down. All right. So at this time in history. Oh, I did want to say. Oh, no, I'll come back to it later. Okay. Um, 
Oh, no, I did. I did. I'm talking about (laughs) the era after Elizabeth. That was the Jacobian period. Um, That doesn't uh, sound fun. Well, Jacobian. So you we meet this little boy kind of towards the beginning of the play. Right. And he calls himself John Webster. And they're just keep they keep calling back to him loving violence and blood and gore. Titus Andronicus is Shakespeare's is his favorite Shakespeare play. Um, so that John Webster actually grows up to be one of the um, big names in the Jacobian theater era. Um, and all of his plays are super dark and bloody. Hmm. So there was a little kid playing with mice. With the rats. Yeah. Okay. Mm. He was also pivotal in this story. Um, getting us into the, the third act. Yeah. And the, that uh, climax, if you will. Oh, um, so pointy. So at this time in history, only men were allowed to act, um, you know, it's considered very improper and very sacrilegious for women to be up on stage, which was why mm. we had, um, we, cause I was there, we had, <laughs> um, boys playing women. And actually I read where a woman named Mary Saunderson was probably the first woman to professionally play Juliet. And that was in 1662. So that's like 70, 70 years after mm-hmm. when this movie is set. Yeah. So yeah. this movie is not historically accurate. It's bullshit. Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's it's not historical nonfiction. It's it's a mix of both, right? Like they they tell this completely fictional story, but it has just enough truth in there. Right. To make you feel like it is. It did, it could really have happened. Oh, so they're gaslighting us. Almost to the end of this, there were different acting companies, (laughs) a group of men. um, They would all kind of like share their responsibilities. And um, there was the Lord Chamberlain's men, which was Richard Burbage's company. So in the beginning, we see them performing one of Shakespeare's plays for Queen Elizabeth. And there was a difference in acting styles. It felt like when they were performing in front of the Queen, it was very, very ornate. And very just like, I don't know, very um, pristine type of acting. And then when you get to the curtain theater later, um, it seems very. Um, yeah. So we see words. the Lord Chamberlain's men performing for Queen Elizabeth. And that was the company that Shakespeare was usually writing his plays for. Hmm. Um, she loved the dog. The dog. Everyone, Everyone loves a clown loves a and a dog. And yep. actually, the man playing the clown with the dog in that scene, um, he was a real person named Will Kemp, who originated all of Shakespeare's clown roles. So if you've heard oh. of like Falstaff or Bottom in A Midsummer's Night, Midsummer Night's Dream, um, that was him. He was just super funny. His name was Bottom? The character, yeah. Do you not I, know A Midsummer Night's Dream? I do not, but I love the character named Bottom. Yeah, Is it B-O-D-D-A-M? No, bottom. Like a bottom. Oh, oh okay. Yep. Like a butt. Like, like a butt. booty. Mm. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so um, anyway, all this to say that um, I thought it was interesting to note that the Curtain Theater, which we see um, Burbage's men playing at, um, the Curtain Theater was eventually torn down and parts of it were used to build the globe. And the globe... Um, is now the Shakespeare's Globe. It was recreated. It's it's um, you know just the big theater that you think of when you think of Shakespeare. Yeah, that's the one I've been to. And London. In London, bragging that he's been I've overseas. I've been to somewhere. London like, once in two thousand six. Mm. 
I've been to England. Little Mr. Fancy Britches. Mm-hmm. Oh, his britches are up by his nipples. Okay. <laughs> All right. Um, last point, and then we'll move on. Um, so Shakespeare was married, and that becomes kind of an important plot point to this movie. Um, semi-important. So Shakespeare did marry Anne Hathaway in 1582. Oh, what? We do know that. Anne Hathaway, yes. She's that old? Um, no, her name is spelled differently, so it's a different person. Her parents had to have named her after Anne Hathaway. Maybe. Or maybe that's um, There are only so many names for white girls, so. There are seven. So they did, they did get married, but very little is known about their relationship. So this movie postates that they had, you know, there was very little love between them, which many people do think was real because she was quite a bit older than him and she was pregnant by him when they got married. So a lot of people speculate it was a shotgun wedding. They weren't really in love. Um, but there's really not evidence for that other than her being pregnant when they married and her being older. Um, so it's just so weird to me that so little is known about this man's life. All they have is like papers and I know, but he he wrote how many how many plays did he write? A lot. Yeah. Consummate writer. I guess Very it's prolific. not about himself. Yeah. But at the time, I mean at the time he was important, right? But less so than like Christopher Marlowe. Christopher Marlowe was like the big star of the day, which we can see in the movie. Gotcha. Um so we don't know a lot about Shakespeare and Anne's real relationship, except that um, he did live in London while she and their three kids were in Stratford. So they lived apart for, you know, the entire time that he worked in the theater. So maybe he did have lots of affairs. Marlowe played by Rupert Everett, who was uncredited in the movie. He was uncredited? He is uncredited. I didn't realize that. I don't know why. That's weird. He was a recognizable face. Yeah. yeah. Well, at this time, at this time, I don't. I think he had only done a couple movies, and then after this is when he went on to do much more stuff. I don't know. So yeah. anyway, that's your brief crash course on Shakespeare and Elizabeth and Elizabeth and Elizabethan <laughs> theater. <laughs> Elizabethan theater. Uh, any questions? No. No. Okay. Does that help give some context, though? Yeah. Giant context. Woo! Sweating. Very big, very big context. Large context. Um, so, question for y'all. As I said before, this is what I would consider a theater person movie. Mm. Without that background and that context and that like love of Shakespeare that I, for example, come in with viewing this movie, does the movie still land for you? Do you still enjoy it? Do you still um, get it? Etc. Holden, you want to go first? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Here, um, uh, let's talk about. <clears throat> uh, so uh, I was, I'll just start off. I was a No Fear Shakespeare kid. If you know what, what? that is, No Fear Shakespeare. What is that? <gasps> no Fear Shakespeare is like the cliff notes of Shakespeare. And what it is, is basically on the left page, it has what Shakespeare wrote. And on the right page, it has like almost a translation so that oh. you could just like read what they're saying and what it means. A modern translation. Yeah. Yeah. So I was a right page, no fear Shakespeare reader and Shame. did not really understand what was going on. Red Mo Romeo and Juliet, um, Othello, Hamlet, 
um, yeah. Macbeth. <laughs> All I like, I I couldn't tell you what happens in those. I can tell you what happened in Romeo and Juliet a little bit. I, yeah, I think that that's definitely the most well known. Like I did, I went and saw. Um, uh, what's the one that you just talked about? Uh, Midsummer Night's Dream. I just I just saw that like a year ago. Just saw. Um, at the theater threes, um, oh, yeah. drinking, drinking live performance, mm-hmm. uh, thing. But that was like a really truncated, I'm guessing a very truncated version of the actual play. Or yeah. Was it- I guess all so I guess all of that to say is like, that's me saying I don't come from a familiarity of Shakespeare. I had to have a translator basically read it to me. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't think that drew me away from the story. It maybe, maybe coded a bit of the language there. Because uh, it was harder for me to maybe understand, or there were maybe like John says, there were a lot of references that maybe went under the mat for me, just because I I'm not aware of that. Like I could tell that there was John Webster jokes because of kind of like a a, a, a symmetry or a repetition of of themes, or you know him coming back a bunch of times. Um, but like, I don't think that deterred me away from this movie. I think it was a very character driven thing. I I don't think I was necessarily persuaded by like the main characters, but I did like ancillary players that really drew me to wanting to watch more and see how they developed. Maddie, you know, a couple of them that I, uh, was, I really, uh, was fascinated with. There are some really great secondary characters, just like super funny. I and the listeners don't know. Why don't you tell us? Yeah, tell okay. us, Holden. Tell yeah, us. Yeah, so my first favorite character is played by Tom Wilkinson, and it's Hugh Fennyman. Mm. It's the guy who comes up is in the first scene as the you know the lone shark for the theater people, and I just I adored his development from being like this angry man who just wants his money in a turn for having the audience come into the theater, into the rows and uh, actually pay, you know, he's just, he's a money man. He's thinking about the money. He calls himself the money. What am I, Mr. Lambert? Bitten, Mr. Fennyman. How badly bitten, Mr. Freeze? 12 pounds, one shilling and fourpence, Mr. Fennyman, including interest. Ah, I can pay you. When? Two weeks, three weeks at the most. Oh, for pity's sake. Take them out. Where will you find? 16 pounds, five shillings and nine pence. Including interest in three weeks. I have a wonderful new play. Put the back in. <laughs> oh, it's a comedy. Cut off his nose. <gasps> it's a new comedy by William Shakespeare. Um, but then to see him develop into just like having genuine interest in what he's watching on the theater stage and like then being invested into the actual character and maybe playing it too much at the end... I loved, I loved that turn. Maddie and I really loved uh, the drunk. Uh, who was it? The hand, the maiden, or whoever the drunk. He played the nurse in the in the um, the version of Romeo and Juliet that they put on in the. Movie. Uh, and I really, I really liked Jeffrey Rush's character. You didn't get to see him a whole lot after you know the second act. Well, he kind of disappeared in the second, um, but he was just goofy and fun and drew me to the screen more just because his pants were silly and his teeth were awful. What have I done, Mr. Pennyman? The theatres have all been closed down by the plague. Oh, that. By order of the Master of the Revels. Mr. Pennyman, allow me to explain about the theatre business. (laughs) The natural condition is one of insurmountable obstacles on the road to imminent disaster. So what do we do? 
Nothing. Strangely enough, it all turns out well. How? I don't know. It's a mystery. Shall I kill him, Mr. Fenniman? But yeah, there were just a lot of other ancillary figures that drew my attention more than, I don't know, maybe I'm just not affected by a romance story between a very pretty guy who's supposed to be William Shakespeare, who if you look at their pictures, I don't think he looks that gorgeous. Uh, Rafe Fine's brother is not that Ray oh, Fine's uh, brother. brother. Put some respect on Joseph Fine's name. Joseph Fiennes. Fiennes. <laughs> I feel like I'm kind of in line with that. Like I wasn't too intrigued by Joseph Fine's. Like I actually read that Daniel Day Lewis and Jude Law were also in running for the yeah. role, and I don't necessarily think that this was right for Daniel Day Lewis. Would have been miserable. It would have been another movie. It would have been way more intense. I don't yeah. think he was right, but I think I would have liked to have seen Jude Law. Yeah, I'm surprised that he lost uh, out over. And I think maybe because Joseph Fiennes had some um, Shakespeare acting in his background. Perhaps. Yeah. Yeah. It seems like very present. That's in what his they call background. it, right? Shakespeare acting. Shakespeare acting. <laughs> Shakespeare acting. He's got a portfolio full of Shakespeare acting. Capital A acting. Well, he, he brought a very, you know, like Daniel Day-Lewis, we would talk about, like, if he would he would have hammered it home and it would have been a very serious Oscar pff, fucking contender, excuse my F word. But Joseph also brought, like, this serious, he was very serious and very dramatic. And what I would have loved, you agreeing with you, uh, is that I would have liked to see Jude Law because I think Jude would have brought the um, the balance of drama with humor in a character yeah. like Shakespeare. I think he's the better actor, but I, he wasn't, he's not in this movie. He was in the talented Mr. Ripley, which came out the year after this with Gwyneth Paltrow. But having read that, I kind of would have liked to have seen him in this. I do think that the, the strongest thing about this movie are, are, is the supporting cast. I can definitely see that. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone else, you know, Shakespeare always balanced. One of the things he did really well is balancing the comedy and the tragedy, right? So you have some really heavy stuff, and then next moment, like, super funny scene, and the audience is, like, rolling on the ground, whereas a moment before they were crying. You know, he's really great at that balance, and I think the movie does a great job of that as well. But back to your original question, like, I think there's a lot of stuff in this movie that you would probably get before me and Holden would get, um, mm. and I think that that's fun they're like they're like easter eggs for people who are that know about shakespeare know these plays know all this stuff but i i think because of how i don't think like you said there's just nobody who doesn't know the story of romeo and juliet so because of that that is our anchor going into this movie so all the stuff that we might miss all the you know the references to names or other plays or all that stuff like that theater kids would just probably wet their pants over like, we're not going to get that. But because we have an anchor with Romeo and Juliet, we can definitely go along for the story. And I think it's really deft at, you know, taking us through this. And, like, I really like the way that it does sort of mix how story aspects from Romeo and Juliet are actually happening in what we'll call the real time or the real life of the movie. Mm -hmm. right? So I did appreciate that. And I like how they sort of jump back and forth and how we see references that we know from Romeo and Juliet happening with the two central characters who are not Romeo and Juliet, but really they are in this world. Right. So I appreciate, you can appreciate that and you can still have your, your limited understanding of the play itself and still capture those moments and understand what's happening. Okay. It's like the Mank of 1998. No. 
Holden, not no. all of us have seen Mank. No, Holden. I just want to be a turd. <laughs> Poor Holden. Well, I was I was gonna run on that comment of uh, what John just said because, like, I mean, I think that's very true. Because um, I felt like through this movie, I, I kind of wanted to turn to Maddie and see how she was reacting to certain parts. I was always crying. What, uh, yes, those uh, those points. Mostly when I was looking at her, I was like, "Dang, I'm not weeping right now." Um, what's wrong with me? Am I a psychopath? And uh, what should I do? Do I need to see my therapist? Because I'm not crying at this part in the movie. A broad river divides my lovers. Family, duty, fate. As unchangeable as nature. Yes. This is not life, Will. It is a stolen season. So this discussion kind of leads into my next question, which is, was it easy to follow the plot and dialogue? Um, And you've kind of already answered that. But the reason I wonder is because a lot of people complain um, about, you know, whether reading Shakespeare or watching it performed that they just don't understand it. Right. Because it's written in this almost another language. Um, But as us thespians like to say, um, if it's performed well, then Shakespeare, Shakespeare, <laughs> Shakespeare, Shakespeare uh, shouldn't be hard to understand at all because um, it it just shouldn't. Because when you know what you're saying, when when the actor understands the words right, then they're able to convey it to an audience that may not yeah mm-hmm. understand on the page. Yeah, um, I, and I, I think I'm sorry. I was just wondering, does the same go for this movie? I think so, yeah. because. I don't have a lot of practice, you know, with this type of material or this type of speech, this type of vernacular. But I think when it's in the hands of a competent actor, you can feel the emotion of it, even if like you're kind of missing some of some of the verbiage or if you're really like, I think the important parts land. And I think that that's what a competent actor can bring to Shakespeare, because it's it is difficult to read. I mean, it's been 20 years since I've read Romeo and Juliet, but um seeing it performed versus reading on the page are two different things. Mm-hmm. You need someone who can bring something you can, that can bring it to life that can do something with the text. If you're just, if I'm just reading it without an understanding or context or, 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 or the ability to bring a performance out of it, I, I don't think that I glean the same understanding from it, but seeing it performed is completely different. And even if you don't understand all the words, you still feel the impact of the emotion of the performance. Yeah. yeah, exactly. I agree with John. My question is, uh, do you think their performance of Romeo and Juliet is a good performance? Oh, good question. That's a good, that is something I thought about while watching. Is it Claire Danes, what's his nuts, quality? Leo DiCaprio? <laughs> is it Claire Danes, Leo, Leonardo DiCaprio quality? We're going to talk about that movie later. Um, okay. It's funny because... I was, yeah, I was trying to think about this while watching the movie, like, okay, is this actually a good performance that specifically Gwyneth Paltrow is putting on? Um, Because. Yeah, that would warrant that kind of reaction from the theater. Well, it must have been. She got the Oscar for it. No, I mean, her character, like her character in the movie. Like being a good performer. and Being an actor. We had to play within the play. And so, Mm -hmm. or play within the movie. So it's like the it's actors being that being the characters playing a role of different characters. 
So when when she starts saying the lines and everyone else who's auditioned for this production mm-hmm. is reading um, or is coming in with a monologue from Christopher Marlowe's play, Dr. Faustus, which was like the big deal at the time. But Shakespeare's like, shoot me. Um, and then so then Gwyneth Paltrow's character comes in disguised as Thomas Kent and she starts reading a Shakespeare soliloquy. There is no music in the nightingale. Unless I look on Sylvia in the day, there is no day for me to look upon. She is my essence, and I leave to be if I be not... Take off your hat. My hat? Where'd you learn how to do that? I... Let me see you. Take off your hat. Are you my my Shakespeare? Wait there. Wait there! Um, and so he's like, oh, this is the best thing I've ever heard. I must have this boy in my play. I don't know. I don't know that she was that great. Her character was that great of an actress. But I mean, compared to everyone else, like, yeah. I didn't know that Gwyneth Paltrow as Thomas Kent was reciting Shakespeare during that audition. So to me, as a viewer who who didn't make that connection, it just sounds like he heard the perfect performance. And I think that that's that's kind of my interpretation is that of, of like how we're supposed to feel about Shakespeare. When you hear it, when you hear it done right, it's transcendent and you, it, it reaches inside of your soul and it changes you from the inside out. And, and if you could only accept the beautiful words, then you'll be a new person. And I think that that's how they play every moment in this movie. When, when they start doing the play. And those are the moments for me that, don't work as well as sort of the the rest of it. Like, mm-hmm. So it's not necessary. You don't feel like it's like the performance that they're reacting to is necessarily warranting the reaction that you're getting. And cause you're not feeling it the same way that they're feeling it. And so you're just kind of like, is there, they're just paying homage to homage to Romeo and Juliet. You mentioned Fennyman, right? Mm-hmm. His whole arc is that he is just completely won over and transfixed by the, the beauty and glory that is Shakespeare's words. Yeah. Like, I actually agree with you. I That's one of my favorite characters. And he has, in my opinion, one of the funnier arcs, in, you know, mm-hmm. of the entire movie. Mm-hmm. But the point is, is that he's won over by the beauty and majesty of the art that he is witnessing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But, like, I don't have the same reaction to it that the the movie is saying that these act these these characters have to this 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 beautiful thing gotcha. unfolding in front of them. Mm-hmm. I could agree. I like the story. I appreciate all of the, the the how it's cleverly jumping back and forth. But when it gets to the actual performance pieces, like it doesn't really necessarily land as as well for me. And I think that's how I kind of feel about Shakespeare in general. Like I really appreciate it, and I recognize how important it is it's held in such high esteem that it's like elevated and we're supposed to see it as this elevated thing. Whereas if I go to a play that is doing Shakespeare, I feel like I want to do inappropriate things. Like, I don't know. It's like, like farting in church, right. Or just, or <laughs> laughing at a funeral because it's so sacred, right? It's so sacred gotcha. that you must sit and appreciate the awe of this art form. It is very coded. It's it's very much a language in and of itself. And if you don't know it, it's kind of hard for you to follow along at some points. And Maddie is very right that, you know, if you're a good performer, then it doesn't matter that you can't understand it. It should be conveyed. But there were times when I was 
in that show where lines would be held and everyone else around me got the joke. And I was like, (laughs) 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 we're all laughing. Everyone's laughing. We're having a good time. What do you say? What do you say? Oh, oh, oh. So, so this discussion brings up two things that I just thought of. One is I think that I wonder if now that you know that part of the reason Shakespeare was maybe won over by Thomas Kent is because he did, he was the only one to come in performing Shakespeare's work and maybe it was a bit of an ego boost. Does that, I'm wondering if that like kind of paints their whole like beginning their love story a little differently because Viola is like, she loves Shakespeare's work. She, you know, I mean, she really is a bit of an ego boost for him. And I'm wondering if that paints their love story a little differently. Because he heard his own words. Because he's flattered by... I gotta have that person who's saying my stuff. Right. She's in love with him and he's in love with himself Uh until he decides he's in love with her as well. No, I think he's a very egotistical character. I think we see that right out of the gate, like just how he's interacting with uh, Jeffrey Rush, how he's talking about Rosaline, how he's sort of eyeballing you know he goes mm-hmm. to the theater and, and like you know he's just he's puts his name in the snake goo goo eyes with you know every girl that walks past him goo goo eyes did i just say that <laughs> whatever goo goo <laughs> he's making wow. goo goo eyes with the ladies goo goo eyes gonna invite him yes. out <laughs> oh, goodness but yeah no i think i think he's very egotistical and i think that was just a jumping off point so Maybe maybe it wasn't so much like he heard greatness. He just well, when yeah. you he look like Joseph Fines, <laughs> I said, I "Well, when you look like I said, well, when you look like Joseph Fines." Excuse, <laughs> what are you saying? I'm saying that uh, you're very no. I know what you said, but what are you saying? Guy. And you have an earring. Oh, Holden would know the earrings. He had an earring. Oh. I loved the and earrings. An earring. He went to Claire's. Wait, did he have an earring? Those need I to come back. Saw... Yeah, he had a little hoop. The only one that registered for me was um, Colin first. Uh, Colin Colin first earring. That was fabulous. That was... Oh boy. <laughs> um. So then the other thing that I'm thinking um is that perhaps the reason that Thomas Kent slash Viola's performance was like really hitting people was because it was it wasn't elevated. It wasn't like up here. Like a lot of the acting would have been, especially with such like dramatic text. Um, she kind of because she did love the text so much, she just kind of spoke the words, or her character just kind of spoke the words. Yeah, it was more. It was intimate. She was mouthing it when she was in Elizabeth's court watching the theater, the the play. Earlier. Yeah, I mean, she was like a huge Shakespeare fan, um, and you know, she understood that it needs to be given this like delicate treatment where it's not overacted essentially, but it's just, and and good actors and directors will tell you that that is how Shakespeare should be performed. It's, it's about the text. You let the text do the mm. work. And I think that's what her character did. And that's why everyone was so like charmed by it. Have not saints lips and holy palmers too? Aye, pilgrim. Lips that they must use in prayer. Oh, then, dear saint, let lips do what hands do. I pray, grant thou, lest faith turn to despair. Saints do not move, though grant for prayer's sake. The movie asks us to believe that if Gwyneth Paltrow puts on a fake mustache and a soul patch, 
nobody's going to know that it's a woman. Oh, she binds her breasts. Not Gwyneth Paltrow. It's like she binds her apples. I mean, I know that in, in my world, it would be, you know, Lois Lane not knowing the difference between Clark, Clark Kent. Kent and Superman because of a pair of glasses. Right. Yeah, that's right. So I get it. We have we, we have other things that we can point to that does the same thing. She did look like a kid I went to school with in middle school. It was a bit of it was a bit much, especially when they're in the boat together and he's yes. talking to her. He's talking about how much he loves Viola to Kent, who is Viola. And looking at Kent's face and saying everything he loves about Viola's face. And it's like, how do you not see it? And that's another reason right. why I think it's kind of about his ego for him. Tell me how you love her, Will. Like a sickness and its cure together. Yes. Like rain and sun. Like cold and heat. Is your lady beautiful? Since I, I, I came here from the country, I have not seen her close. Tell me, is, is she beautiful? Thomas, if I could write the beauty of her eyes, I was born to look in them and know myself. Uh, and her lips? Her lips? The early morning rose would wither on the branch if it could feel envy. Like he's... He's in love with the idea of Viola rather than actual Viola. Because if he loves her lips so much, she would he would recognize them. If he loves her eyes so much, he would recognize them. You know? She needed to go with Vesex. I think that that's the only time that the movie backs itself into a corner where it's like, really, this kind of doesn't work, but it's okay if you just go along with it. And if you're just going along with the story and having fun, then sure. That is the only part of the movie that I feel that doesn't necessarily not not work. It's just I have a hard time going along with it. Yeah, but. I mean, he's seen her so many times close up by the time that they're in that boat together that like you have to be insensitive to not realize that who you're sitting right in front of. Yeah, if it's like you said, Maddie, if his feelings run that deep, <laughs> what are you doing? How can he not see her? <laughs> I mean, he's looking right face. at her, talking about her. Yeah, but he's like, she just kissed me too. Oh, that boy. Boy, just kiss me. Oh yeah, he didn't even he didn't even catch it then. Like yeah. the boatman had to go. Oh well, that was uh, oh, Lady that's Viola. Lady. And he's like, and he yeah. still sat there like, hang on. So I'm not gay. I'm not gay. Okay, I'm not gay. And then he runs out. I after don't her. know. <laughs> I don't know. Kind of like that. So tell my lady, William Shakespeare waits for her in the garden. What if Lord Wessex? For one kiss, I would defy a thousand Wessexes. Thank you, lady. Lady? It's Viola de Lesseps. Not ever since she was this side. The reason that that's there is because that was a huge, huge thing that Shakespeare put in his plays was women being disguised as men and no one finds out until she's finally revealed at the end. And they fall in love and they're none the wiser. That's it. When clearly all of those men playing women are are obviously men. So they're men okay, so that, playing women playing men. That's pretty f- Okay, so that's fun. I do like the I do like the gender reversal. I do like, you know, them playing in that in that that idea that, you know, women are aren't allowed into this thing and, and she is and she's the best at it, you know. I I love that part of the movie. But she does not look like a convincing man. I think it would have been better played off if she was trying to audition for the role of Juliet and she just kind of dressed in boy but then dressed as girl. 
don't you think that would have helped a little bit better? Because they did get a, uh, they wanted to choose a more um, effeminate looking male for the Juliet character. Yeah, and high voice. And then his voice drops. Yeah, the the actor who was going to play Juliet was like his token female role actor. Well, because he had the whole like fleet of professional actors come in and replace everybody else who he had. Well, not who, necessarily uh, What's replaced, his name had roughly classed. Good old Ben Affleck. Yeah, the Ben Affleck Ned. clan. What is the play and what is my part? Uh, one moment, sir. Who are you? I'm, um, I'm the money. Then you may remain, so long as you remain silent. Pay attention. You will see how genius creates a legend. Thank you, sir. We are in desperate want of a Mercutio, Ned. A young nobleman of Verona. Mm-hmm. And the title of this piece? Mercutio. Is it? I will play him. I love that role. I hate that it's Ben Affleck, but he plays it well. Because it's like the typical um, professional A-hole. actor. Yeah. And I don't think that this is an indictment against actors. I think it's just anyone in general who takes themselves too seriously. What's like, it called? Mercutio. I'm in. Yeah. <laughs> That's my character. I'm in. And his Mercutio is my favorite character in Romeo and Juliet, by the way. Really? And I'll get into that a little bit later when we talk about the Baz Luhrmann okay, version. Okay. Um, and Ned Ben Affleck's character was a real like he was the prominent actor of that time. That's a real person as well. This is one of my favorite love stories to watch in movie form. Romeo and Juliet. No, Shakespeare in Love. Oh, oh I see. <laughs> Romeo and Juliet. How boring. But it doesn't have a very good ending, Maddie. What does that have to say? It doesn't. About your and idea I sobbed, I sobbed, I sobbed. Well, but that's the thing. Sometimes it doesn't work out well. Romeo and Juliet does not work out well for them. No. And I think. And love does not triumph in this movie either. And I think that's maybe. I don't know if that's part of it. So trying to examine why do I love this love story so much when it. I mean, I love Joseph Fiennes in this movie. So. So there, um, but there I think he, I think he and Gwyneth Paltrow have amazing chemistry in this movie. So I think that's part of it. Yeah, absolutely. They they do really well. They do well. I love the way it's directed. Like we talked about, you know, the inter interweaving of their like love making scenes and speaking the lines to each other, and then it cuts to the rehearsal the next day when they're saying the lines in the theater. Like I just think it's all very like very nice to look at. I love how this movie is constructed. Yeah. I love how it bounces around between the reality or the real life of the movie and the play of the movie and how they're all interconnected. It's all very, it's all very, you know, Poetic. it's woven very well together. Yeah. It's very well written and it's, it's very well directed. Yeah. Is it Saving Private Ryan directed? <laughs> no. Sunday. Pay attention, Nessie. The Queen, Gloriana Regina, God's chosen vessel, the radiant one who shines her light on us, is at Greenwich today and prepared during the evening's festivities to bestow her gracious favor on my choice of wife. And if we're late for lunch, the old boot will not forgive. So get you to my lady's chamber and produce her with or without her undergarments. Cannot, not for the Queen herself. What will you have me do? Marry you instead? To be the wife of a poor player. And I wish that for Lady Viola, except in my dreams. And yet I would if I were free to follow my desire in the harsh light of day. You 
follow your desire freely enough in the night. Another reason I love it is just the forbidden love factor, right? It just automatically makes everything juicier. There's no greater love than forbidden love. Forbidden love, which is, I mean, the whole basis of Romeo and Juliet as well. So I'm Do just wondering... Do you like this uh, relationship story more than Romeo and Juliet? Romeo and Juliet are two, like, kids who act stupid for four acts and then die, so... Maybe I do like it more than Romeo and Juliet. I think Romeo and Juliet works for a younger audience a lot more because, like, that's that's the stakes for a younger person. Uh, like, it's, I, I think I think a young person would be that dramatic. Yes, right. Yes, very dramatic. I'm going to shove this dagger into my chest, sort of stakes, right? So I think that's why it plays to a younger audience. Whereas, like, I'd be like, well, hold on, hang hang on, that looks like it would hurt. Maybe I don't want to shove this dagger into my chest. Like I, I care. I love this person a lot. You know, I love her a lot. But I don't know if I, I don't know if I'd stab myself. But maybe the there hurt. are other people. I'm out just there. gonna say it. Right. Does the love story land for you? Were you invested at all, or did you not even care? Did it hit you uh, like it hit me? Did you weep um, three different times throughout the course of the movie? No, I'm sorry. It didn't, no, I didn't weep. I didn't weep. I, I enjoyed the movie, but no, I didn't. I didn't feel. Well, you, it didn't impact me that just way. Just not even like a pinch of sadness when they couldn't end up together. Their last kiss. I don't know. There's just something. That, I don't. Uh, maybe because it was expected. I think because if this movie is mirroring Romeo and Juliet so much, I didn't expect it, them to end up together. Yeah. And I, and as soon as as soon as she got married, to me, I I thought there's you can't come back from this. If 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 she ends up with him, then then it would probably hurt the movie. Well, and romance in this movie is generally just played as like making out in places you're not supposed to. Shakespeare goes to Viola's house and <laughs> um, makes makes love with her there, and the nurse is out there waiting outside the door, rocking in her chair, like. Okay. Old, old Dolores Umbridge yeah. just sitting outside. Yeah, Mrs. Umbridge is out there in her pink suit. I can't even you can't even equate those two characters. She is such a little a little sweet pea in this movie. Yeah, she she comes in hard. Um but like all like and then it's like the only time they kiss is in the ba- backstage or in their but in the that's boat. That's what makes and it like, so spicy. Yeah, but That's the juicy. Uh, yeah. She just said that like 25 minutes ago. It's juicy. It's, it's juice. It's, un- it's got that juice, that spice. Right. It's what's what's it's forbidden. It's forbidden love. That's it heightens it. So like, yeah. Oh yeah, course. so you can't do it as a normie. That's right. I mean, sure. They, they had to hide it. They had to hide all of that. I don't I don't have that experience of forbidden love. I don't know that. I don't know what that means. I don't know. Mm-hmm. All that to say, uh, I don't know if it's just that I'm not a romance person. Well, do I need do I need my dad to try to sword fight you? Would that help? I, I don't know, but like uh, he'd do it. I don't I don't uh, I don't know if I if I if I fall for the quest or not. I don't know. <clears throat> That's okay. I think you should set that up, Maddie. I think you need to have your dad challenge hold into a duel of some sort. Uh, not a duel. Let's go laser tag. <laughs> <laughs> he would love that. He would relish that. Mark, I can't wait for you to hear that this. That sounds more like bonding. That doesn't sound like uh, a threat to your person. No. Well, oh, they come out die. the other side better for it. But that's still not forbidden. That's just There's enough anxiety there. There's enough that's anxiety. Just normal. Normal old boring love. 
Uh, it's hard right, to get forbidden the love these days. Paintball. Everything's everything's accepted. There's no more forbidden love. <laughs> there's so much tolerance. There's so much tolerance that there's nothing that's forbidden. <laughs> you will never age for me. Nor fade. Nor die. Nor you for me. Goodbye, my love. Like we said, this uh, plot, Romeo and Juliet, has been done and redone a million times. If you've seen other versions, which I'm sure you have, or I know you have, um, two big film ones are Baz Luhrmann's Romeo and Juliet, 1996, and the other Mm -hmm. big one is West Side Story. Um, If you've seen other versions, where does this one factor in? How does it compare? What's your favorite? Etc. I saw Baz Luhrmann's Romeo and Juliet in high school after I read my selection of (coughs) No Fear Shakespeare the day before. And we only watched it because it was basically the exact story, but in modern day Mm -hmm. with guns. And I guess I liked it because it meant that I didn't have to read as much and it made my test easier. But I don't know if I liked that movie. I'm sorry. What did it do to your testes? (laughs) Made my testes easier. (laughs) My testes. I saw John's face as soon as he said that. And I was like, oh, it gave me, it gave my testes (laughs) ear. That began, began my curiosity into what other things Boz Lerman could do. And then I got annoyed. Oh, yeah. No, that's it. (laughs) I have not seen West Side Story. You haven't. I'm not super big on musicals. Well, I know what we're watching. But I have seen Baz Luhrmann's Romeo and Juliet. It was out, did you say 96? Mm -hmm. Okay, so I was 18. And I I actually saw that in the theater. I took my mom to see it. Oh, great. My memory's probably wrong, but it felt like to me that... Like a month before this movie came out, we had read Romeo and Juliet. Mm -hmm. So I went and saw it, and I did at the time really, really like it. And I rewatched it maybe the beginning of this year, and there is a lot of stuff that I still really like into like in it. But you know, as on the as a whole movie, like I tend to fall off about halfway through the movie. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's just when Tybalt dies, the movie dies in my mind. But uh, again, like my favorite parts of those movies are the supporting characters like Leonardo, 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 <laughs> Leonardo DiCaprio is, is, is fine. <laughs> Claire Danes is fine. But like for me, it's all about Harold Perigno's Mercutio or John Leguizamo's Tybalt. Mm. Like John Leguizamo in that movie is on freaking fire. He's so great in that movie. You shall find the afternoon to that, sir. And you will give me occasion. Could you not take some occasion without giving? <laughs> Mercutio, thou art consortist with Romeo? Consort? What, dost thou make us minstrels? And thou make minstrels of us look to hear nothing but discord! Here's my fiddlestick! Here's a yeah. As soon as the Tibble and Mercutio, you know, event happens in the movie the movie's done and it's pretty early on it's like pretty early on in the story it's about halfway i'd say yeah so i kind of 
I kind of want to rewatch the movie. So I bought it several years ago and tried to watch it, Baz Luhrmann's version, and I hated it. I couldn't make it through. I I probably stopped maybe halfway through. I don't even know if I made it that far. Um, I'm not a fan of his work. <laughs> oh, you don't like Moulin Rouge? You don't like Great Gatsby? I hate Moulin Rouge. Um, Great Gatsby was fine, but I think even as a story, it's like, meh. I think a little bit of Baz Luhrmann goes a really long way. I don't think you can sustain that style over a career, which he has tried to right. do. It gets old. I don't like when Shakespeare is taken and modernized, but it's like still word for word. It's just like guns instead of swords and it's on acid and it's, you know, there's they're <laughs> texting instead of writing letters. You know, like I don't like that version of modernizing Shakespeare. Something mm, like right. She's the Man is a modernized version of Twelfth Night, right? That works mm. because they're not literally doing Twelfth Night. You know what I mean? It's just like you take the plot, you maybe even take some of the character names and put it in this modern, you know, modern situation. And I think I'm kind of behind Maddie. Like I liked, um, what's that movie? Uh, 10 Things I Hate About You, which is really like... Um, the Taming of the Shrew. Taming of the Shrew, yeah. I don't think you really know it. Uh, going in that it's very Shakespearean. But after the fact, if you do some digging, you kind of realize that. I kind of like things hidden like that because you're performing Shakespeare. You perform Shakespeare in, in, like, in the context of the era that he's writing it. And if you're updating it, it doesn't necessarily fit in a modern context because these things are different. These things are new. We change. And so to have it be like... Uh, she's the man or taming of the shrew. I mean, or uh, 10 things I hate about you. Yeah. Point that I made right there. Well, And I think that's point. just like our <laughs> preference. And then some people will have a preference like John's where they think that it makes total yeah. sense. And it should all exist. Maybe it's, be, maybe it's my proclivity to irreverence because like, I, I think perhaps Maddie, you Feel that Baz Luhrmann's interpretation was very irreverent to the source material, whereas like I, I was actually attracted to that because like when I listen to Shakespeare, it's like I want to fart in church. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, right, totally. So if I wonder if it comes down to an education thing of like Maddie, Maddie has you know a, a history and a context with Shakespeare and a like a a different perspective to of appreciation for that. And you and I kind of went through. Are you saying that she's smarter than me? No, I'm uh, just saying we that we do. have different. I think we have a different. <laughs> I think we have different different context informing our. You know. I get it. I'm not a smart man. No. I like simple I things. Not, I can quote. <laughs> I can quote Hot Rod verbatim. Me but too. If you stick. If you stick. You know, Romeo Taming of the Shrew in front of me. I'm. My eyes are going to go cross-eyed. I get it. <laughs> Right, but like also, I don't, I'm not, I'm not, di- you know, discounting that at all. I just want to say that, like, I think there's a difference in Maddie. Maddie's experience is very, very ascertained to Maddie's experience, and maybe like I don't know, literature majors mm. who like go through this ringer of understanding and appreciating context out, you know, context within context for why Shakespeare is important and why it should be held as this precious golden gem of art and then how you should hail that work later. I completely agree with that. I think that 
I, but I think it's just like anything else. If something resonates for you, you're invested, yeah. right? You're going to seek it. You're going to understand it in a different way than people who have a superficial under, or relationship yeah. with it. So, I mean, there are wine connoisseurs that, from what they say, can tell all the different notes of a, of a glass of wine and appreciate, you know, the nuances of this thing that just tastes like garbage to mm. me. So... That doesn't mean that I don't appreciate wine or think that, that that person is, you know, because I don't have the taste for it. I don't see them any differently because they do. Although I will say that if a wine connoisseur is, you know, condescending to me because I don't have the same palate, I am going to have a problem right. with that. I'm going <laughs> yes. to see that as an affront and think that you are taking yourself way too seriously and you need to chill the F out ah! because nothing should be taken that seriously. And that. I think that's good. And I was just going to say that definitely happens in the theater community. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it happens in, it, it's not just, the theater community is not the only one. Yeah. It happens but across. Like, Dude, you didn't get under the Silver Lake, no, man. But- <laughs> you suck. Speaking you didn't read the billboard behind him, man. <laughs> you're dumb. Speaking specifically to Shakespeare. Yes. I mean, it's true. Like, I don't, I don't know if the reason I didn't like Baz Luhrmann's version was because I have a reverence for Shakespeare or just because I feel like personally it didn't work for me. But there are, I mean, there are so many people who do hold Shakespeare and his work on this pedestal. And if you're not taking it seriously or if you're not understanding it, then you're just dumb and shame on you. Mm -hmm. When in reality, we're just huge nerds. This is why we have Unseen Supreme, the non-essential movie podcast (laughs) is because we have differing values. This is what we're this is what we're starting to see seven episodes in, is that we have different values in movies. And we have different backgrounds for movies and different reasons why we like these things. And I think that's why we have a good conversation about these different types of films spanning all genres and all everything, is because Maddie has a reason why she likes something. John has a reason why he likes something, and I have a reason why I like something. Right. Holden loves Under the Silver Lake. And only and Under only. the Silver Lake. And only that movie. <laughs> <laughs> I have 32 copies <laughs> on my bookshelf. <laughs> oh, my god! They're all regular DVDs. <laughs> Romeo, Romeo, a young man of Verona. A comedy by William Shakespeare. My lady! Who's that? Shakespeare. Anon, good nurse. Anon. Master Shakespeare. The same, alas. But why, alas? A lowly player. Alas, indeed. For I thought you the highest poet of my esteem and a writer of plays that capture my heart. Oh, I am him too. Anon. I have to read this because I spent so much oh, your time chart? writing it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I've only, I've read. Romeo and Juliet 20 years ago, I've seen the movie, Baz Luhrmann's movie, you know, probably a handful of times. So my understanding doesn't go deep, but I was able to track how the real life of the movie was sort of mirroring the Romeo and Juliet play. Okay. Oh, is that a good way to say that? Okay. So here's what I wrote. All right. So Shakespeare, (laughs) Shakespeare is actually Romeo. He's also Shakespeare playing Romeo. And when actor revealed actress who was playing Romeo can't play Romeo anymore because of, you know, marriage and ladies in theaters, gross and stuff. He is then Romeo. Mm -hmm. Viola is Viola and Kent, 
who is also playing Romeo until she's no longer Kent because Kent has bubbies. <laughs> then Viola is Viola again, again, who then, because Twist gets to play Juliet because actor Juliet's voice changed overnight, I guess. And she knows all the lines by heart because of like love or something. <laughs> Wessex is Paris, who wears a wicked boss earring <laughs> and talks to Viola's father about marrying his daughter and getting all that sweet, sweet dowry. So that would make Sir Robert de Lessip also Fulgencio Montague. But later on, Wessex is also maybe Tybalt, <laughs> which would make Marlo Mercusio until, oh, wait, no, he's not. He's just Paris because Twist. Thus returning Wessex to Paris status and Marlowe to just being dead. Spoilers. <laughs> nurse is also just Nurse, whether it's Imelda Staunton or Miriam Margolis. But let's be honest, Miriam edges that one. Burbage, also kind of Tybalt, but also fails, not because he didn't kill anyone, but because Lambert gets to crack skulls. So Burbage just becomes Burbage again, who is also shacking it with Rosaline who is quite literally Rosaline until Shakespeare Romeo meets Viola Juliet and cares not for Rosaline no more. Oh, damn. Dr. Ralph is Father Lawrence, which is why when Shakespeare says he's going to confession, when Dr. Ralph is really more of a shrink. Mm. Fennyman is just rad Mm -hmm. because Tom Wilkinson is freaking great in everything he does. Henslow needs to get his shit together and a new pair of boots, but still also great because Jeffrey Rush is equally great in everything he also mm-hmm. does. Queen Elizabeth was Queen Elizabeth and also just a deus ex machina. Kind of maybe who can fix the rule of law, but can't fix marrying the wrong person because titles matter and such. Yeah. Did I miss anything? Uh, that was pretty great. I mean, the biggest, I mean, <laughs> yeah, the most obvious one is the nurse, right? Juliet has a nurse. Viola has a nurse that, you know, kind of helps the love story along. Who, uh, in, in Baz, also in Baz Luhrmann's Romeo and Juliet, Miriam Margulies, or I'm, if I'm pronouncing that wrong, Margulies is amazing as the nurse. She is, I don't yeah, she's fantastic. That. Her and John Leguizamo are. Well worth the price of admission. For You're making movie. me want to rewatch the movie. Nope. <laughs> but not for Holden. <laughs> no. Okay. Thanks for indulging me with that. I had a fun. That I had was fun great. That I love up. that um, you like took the time and effort to figure that all out. My brain nearly exploded, but that was really awesome. <laughs> well, again, like that's just what I really liked about this movie, how it was sort of kind of repurposing all these roles, you know, between. <clears throat> Mank of 1998. The story of the movie between and, and the story of uh, Romeo and Juliet. Yeah, I thought it was it clever. Is clever. Um, mm-hmm. And actually, Tom Stoppard, who was brought on because uh, who was it that wrote the original script? Anyway, the um, the original director didn't like it, and so they brought on Tom Stoppard, who was a playwright. Playwright. Um, and so he, I mean, I think I can't even imagine the movie without his his script. Or his additions to the script. And um, he actually went on to write a, a stage version of this. So there is a stage version of Shakespeare in Love. Oh. Which was recently, in the last few years, course. put on by Shakespeare Dallas. Well, it was such a huge success. Why not just, you know, repurpose it and repurpose it? Why not? It? That's, that's what art is. Run it into yep. the ground. Cool. Let's talk trivia before we get to our quiz. Uh so, oh, I'm worried about the quiz, but okay, trivia. <laughs> so the film ends with Shakespeare writing his comedy Twelfth Night, um, which in the movie is inspired by Viola. 
but well, and the queen, I guess. Um, but in reality, there were about four years and ten other plays between him writing Romeo and Juliet and writing Twelfth Night. So that's just completely fictionalized. Um, and the mm. writers, it took them a long time to come up with the ending that they eventually landed on. Like, um, Gwyneth Paltrow was al- already filming The Talented Mr. Ripley. They had to fly her back over to England to film the last scene of the movie. Great film. Great film. I haven't seen it. I haven't seen it either. Talented Mr. Ripley. Fantastic. Is it on your movie. list? It's not. But maybe we should add it. It, it'll be, it would be way down there compared to all the other amazing movies. That From I the like. 80s? But, uh, if you get the chance it, and you haven't seen it, it's fantastic. Okay. We'll watch it. Um, so Dame Judi Dench won an Academy Award for Best Actress in a Supporting Role for her role as Queen Elizabeth I. But she's on screen for about six minutes total in just That's four so scenes. Weird. But... I mean, she was good. She was fantastic, but she's Dame Judi Dench, so what do you expect? Yeah, Dame Judi Dench. (laughs) I don't believe for a moment that nobody would have seen her at the play when she she just like shows up out of nowhere. I know how huge she was. Her silhouette is humongous. There is no way that hundreds Mm -hmm. of people next to her wouldn't be like, Hey, what's that black lump? (laughs) And that's, that's that's the only other thing in the movie that it asks us to believe that that would be possible. Of disbelief. There is absolutely no way that the queen would show up to that place, not causing any kind of stir. I mean, you're totally De- right. Deus X. You're totally right about that. She totally is. There's only two ways in and out of that place. One is the spiral staircase on the outside. One is the main entrance. Yeah. Silly, but she's fantastic. And, um, actually, Going back to her winning the Oscar, this is only the second shortest performance to win the Best Actress in a Supporting Role Oscar. The shortest ever performance was Beatrice Strait in Network, 1976. She was only in that movie for five minutes and won the Oscar. I'm I'm curious to know what the other nominees were because I can't imagine you'd feel good about being a supporting role that where you get a significant amount of screen time. And you get... And you lost, and you lose. Yeah. But you lose to Judy Dench. You lose to Judy Dench. So you're like, yeah. Well, yeah. what did I expect? She's great in the movie. Her character just doesn't have a lot of range. Oh no, but I mean, I think the Oscars love a historical figure. Well, obviously, since they gave this movie the Oscar over Save saving Private Ryan, Private Ryan <laughs> what? 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 John's very. John's Ugh. very mad. Dare you say jaded? So speaking of Academy Awards, I mean, this film and particularly Gwyneth Paltrow, Tom Stoppard, the writers, they won a ton of awards. Fascinatingly, 1998 was the only year that two actresses were nominated for Academy Awards for playing the same character in two different movies in the same year. So Elizabeth came out this year and Judy Dench was nominated and won for Best Actress. Um, and Kate Blanchett was nominated for Best Actress for portraying, portraying Elizabeth I and Elizabeth beat out by Gwyneth Paltrow. But also, also, Joseph Fiennes was in it. Joseph Fiennes was in both movies. Now that I know that, I bet Kate Blanchett was robbed. <laughs> by Gwyneth Paltrow? This movie, this movie robbed everyone <laughs> that year. I don't know what payola <laughs> nonsense that... Old Weinstein it was, was just Weinstein. greasing the wheel, just slipping money in people's pockets, just 
bought this win absolutely Weinstein. Yeah, for sure. I can't imagine. I I think Gwyneth Paltrow was pretty great. It's probably her best role, but I don't think she's Blanchett. Like, sure, you know, it's like fine. She cried at that speech. Some some major collusion going on this year, nineteen ninety. Investigate that. Saving Private Ryan and Elizabeth, like they they did won lots of other awards, just not, you know, the Oscars when those two movies went up against each other, only one could win, and it was. Well, this one. but this movie also won the Golden Globe. So, someone explain that to me. Anyways, keep um, going. Well, uh, interestingly enough, Elizabeth and Shakespeare in Love, Joseph Fiennes was the love interest in both of them, and <laughs> also Jeffrey Rush was in both of them and was nominated what? for a BAFTA award for both of them and won for Elizabeth. And turns out they there was only like ten British actors <laughs> working at that time. Turns out they used the same set. <laughs> Not till Harry Potter did we discover that there were actually other English actors out there. Harry Potter gave us a whole table of new actors. Speaking of Harry Potter, my two favorite characters in this movie were Imelda Staunton Staunton and Mark Williams, who are Professor Umbridge and author Arthur Weasley. Who was... uh, Respectively. Oh, yes, Stuttering. Imelda, but who was the other guy in this movie? The Stuttering stuttering guy. The Stuttering guy who introduces... I didn't even recognize him. Oh, he's he was yeah, he's just great. very little. He should have got the sport supporting role. They're just throwing awards at everybody. Why not them? Yeah. I mean, just handing these things out. He was great. I loved that. So, um, this one seems untrue to me, but I wrote it down anyway because it's like interesting if true. Um, apparently, Gwyneth Paltrow saw the script at Winona Ryder's office, um, and was like, "Oh, that's interesting. What is it?" And then secretly went and auditioned for it and got the role. And she and Winona have never been friends since. Dang, huge if true. Did you see Dracula? No, no. Oh, she was in that, and she affects an English accent, and it's not Winona? good. Not good. She she was not good at the English accent, so I cannot see her in this. Yeah, story. I can't really picture it. Um, they originally slated Julia Roberts for it. Also weird. Yeah, and she was the one who kept pushing for Daniel Day-Lewis, and when he wouldn't do it, she was like, fine, I won't do it either. So then they wanted Kate Winslet. Kate Winslet turned it down. Like, it was a fun movie. I can't imagine it being fun with Julia Roberts and Daniel Day-Lewis. No, especially not Daniel. No. All right, who's going to first in our game? Lay it on me. Okay, so I'm going to take my headphones off. (laughs) Mute, (laughs) Mute your microphone. What? I can still hear you sitting. <laughs> <laughs> Was I breathing loud? No, I just no. heard your chair go. <laughs> <laughs> okay, sorry. That's cool. Here we go. Number one, name at least one of the two playhouses featured in the movie. The rose and the curtain. Good job. Number two. Who is Shakespeare's supposed first muse in the movie? Rosaline. Oh, I made this too easy. Number three, what name does Viola use for her disguise? Thomas Kent. Number four, how does Christopher Marlowe die? Oh, he stabs himself in the eye. He stabs himself. He's stabbed in the eye eye with the. He's like stabbed in the eye with his own knife. You know. It's. He's not killed by what's his name? Not by Wessex. Wessex. But do you know? Where he does? In a pub. Over what? Over a bet. (laughs) Over a pint. It's a dispute over... Over money for a script. 
Okay. I don't know. Enough. I just know that he. I, I just know that he got his own dagger in his eye. Close. And yeah. He was not killed by Vesic. Wessex. I should Vesic. have made this quiz harder. Double yeah. Okay. Um, number five. Name at least two of the Shakespeare plays referenced in the movie. Oh, um, twelve, twelfth night, mm-hmm. and <laughs> Romeo and Juliet. Can you name any others? Um, Just out of curiosity. Uh, Titus Andronicus. Oh, nice. Okay. All right. So you got five out of five. <laughs> oh, so I won? <laughs> We're waving to John. Hi. Yes, hello. hello. You ready? <sighs> I think I guess about as ready as it's I'm going to be. It's an easy quiz. I did it on accident. You were an accident. I was afraid of making it too hard and I made it very easy. That's how you make it okay, easy. Okay, we'll quiz. see. We will see. All right, you ready? Uh, number yeah, one. Let's do it. Number one. Name it. Name at least one of the two playhouses featured in the movie. The Rose Theater. Yeah. Yay. The other one was the curtain. <laughs> the the curtain. curtain. Who number two? Who is Shakespeare's first supposed muse in the movie? Rosaline. Yep. Uh, number three, what name does Viola use for her disguise? Thomas mm-hmm, Kent. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, number four, how does Christopher Marlowe die? Bar fight. Yeah. He was stabbed with his own yeah. knife. You're correct. Um, okay. Number five Ow. out of five. Oh, last name one. Name at least two of the Shakespeare plays referenced in the movie. Does Romeo and Juliet count as one? Um, I'm not sure because I think y'all are both going to get five out of five. So I'm wondering if I need to make it name as many as you can. Do you have a tie? Do you have a tiebreaker? Yeah, but I think it's too easy. I think I made it all too easy. Okay. Um, referenced, right? Like, do you mean like that was actually said or that was perhaps like alluded to by dialogue? Um, yeah, uh, said like the title was said. Hold and take your headphones off for this. <laughs> okay, how many can you name? Twelfth. You just said it like not uh-huh. too long ago. Twelfth day. Twelfth yep. n- night. Okay, so how many am I supposed to do? Uh, two. as many as I can. Yeah, I'm wondering if this needs to be our tiebreaker. I don't. I don't know any other ones that are named other than those two. Those are the definitely the, the two obvious. Those are ones. the two obvious ones. I don't think I can name any any other ones. Okay. Not that I, not to my memory that he names outright. Okay. I think there was a Hamlet reference because mm-hmm. at the funeral of Marlowe, Shakespeare appears and Wessex goes ghost and like runs out. That's a Hamlet. That is a Hamlet reference. reference right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, it is. Shoot. Okay, so I I only know if it's if we're naming two specific ones, those are the only two okay. I know. Hold on, okay. come back. Wait, did we tie? John, tiebreaker. Tiebreaker. How do Romeo and Juliet die? That's too easy. We're both going to get that. Uh, <laughs> you don't know that. Like Romeo drinks poison, Juliet stabs herself. <laughs> Everyone knows that. Holden. If Holden doesn't know, if Holden doesn't know that, he deserves okay. to lose. That's okay. all I'm going to say. Let's see. So maybe we we do need to have another question on standby okay. just in case cuz I think he I think he let will me, get Let me let me think of one. Um, hold on. How do Romeo and Juliet? Get... How do you, how do Romeo and Juliet die? In the in the Shakespeare story. Yes. So Romeo 
poisons himself and Juliet stabs herself. Dang it! <laughs> Tied again. Ah! I take this Word person sudden death. to engrossing death. I was so afraid of making this quiz hard that I made it way too easy. Easy Poison! Up the some poison doth yet hang on him. Okay. I'd kiss thy lips. Up the some poison doth yet hang on him. Y'all seen Hot Fuzz? It's a great movie. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Hold on, take off your headphones. <laughs> oh, this is tense. Oh, okay. I don't think we've ever had a tiebreaker before. There was a Christopher Marlowe play referenced a lot. Mm. What was it? All of the auditioners came in with a line, the same line from this play. Do you know what it was? I do not. I, I have no idea. There's no MMA. I, I don't know if Holden will be able to either, in which case... <laughs> we'll just keep, keep going. going. Laying on me. Do you know... <laughs> <laughs> All of the auditioners in the movie came in with one line from the, a Christopher Marlowe play. Do you know the name of that play? Faustus. Yeah. Well. That's correct. It was Dr. Faustus. Oh, and you you said that earlier. I just didn't connect it. Holden, you have bested me. You have won. I'm sorry that process was so long. It was so so intense. <laughs> Merry Christmas. Congratulations. All right. You deserved it. Holden, what are we watching next time? All right. I'm in between two movies, guys, to be honest. <laughs> Where are they? Um, I'm in between a modern romance um, titled Submarine. And I am also tied between a insect slash human <laughs> romance called Bee Movie. I want to watch Bee Movie. All right, guys. I I think I I teased it in Under the Silver Lake, and I think I just need to rip the Band-Aid off and make that dream a reality. And I'm just going to go ahead and say that B-Movie is the <laughs> next movie on our Maddie, Unseen what is going Supreme on? and Non-Essential <laughs> Movie I'm so tickled. <laughs> I think she, uh, all right. I think there's something B movie is the there's next something movie. in the universe telling Maddie that I was gonna win. <laughs> I was praying for it. God came down and anointed you with I the need knowledge to watch you needed. B movie. <laughs> it's it's divine. All the friends I went to film school with are gonna be super proud that I'm talking about B movie. Hey, you know what? <laughs> you like what you like. Don't make any apologies. Yeah, for damn that, it. Sir. All right. Well, everybody watch B Movie before next time if you haven't seen it yet. Like me and It's Dawn. on Netflix. And you can watch it oh. for what you would consider to be free. <laughs> You've already paid for it. Watch it. Uh, thank you for listening all the way through this episode. We hope you had as much fun as we did. And we will see you next time on Unseen Supreme, the non-essential movie podcast. See you in the next live. See you in the next live. I just all I heard was <laughs> mouth sounds when you did that. <laughs> it's my least favorite sound. Mm. <laughs> <laughs>